<laughs> okay, so today's uh, paper that we're just going to discuss is one which I will preface with a trigger warning. Um, it is talking about unresolved trauma and attachment uh, in mothers. And so we're, we're delving slightly differently from, from where we've been talking about sort of positioning and hip dysplasia to, to much more around the, the mental um, neuroscience-y kind of side. So this was published in 2019 um, by some authors which are UK-based at King's College and University College London. Um, Peter Fenergi and Lane Stratham are names that have been mentioned before in some of the papers that we've shared. So they're kind of in these fields around um, attachment and, and trauma and stuff. Um, so the paper is called Unresolved Trauma and Reorganization in Mothers, Attachment and Neuroscience Perspectives. And this is in the Frontiers in Psychology journals. So it's quite a broad journal, this one. The abstract, um, states the onset of motherhood is characterized by significant psychological and neurobiological changes. These changes equip the mother to care for her new child. Although rewarding, motherhood is also an inherently stressful period, more so for mothers with unresolved trauma. The aim of the current review is to expand on the concept of attachment reorganization in mothers with unresolved trauma from both attachment and neuroscience perspectives. So preliminary results from one of our previous studies have shown that among mothers with unresolved trauma, mothers who themselves demonstrated reorganizing attachment towards security had infants with secure attachment, thereby indicating the potential to halt the intergenerational transmission of insecure attachment. So what they're talking about here is that um, basically by working on ourselves, you know, we can build a secure attachment with our child. So it isn't just always about working on that secure attachment with the child, it's working on ourselves and our own um, traumas or uh, attachment, um, but but kind of how we how we do that. Um, so those that basically had unresolved trauma um, tended to have insecure attachments with their children, but those who were um, working on or reorganizing attachment, as they call it, um, had infants with secure attachment. So what they're saying is there's a way of um, stopping this, this, this cascade with the intergenerational transmission. So we know that people with, with trauma in their lives, you know, with attachment issues, they're more likely to have attachment issues. Therefore, they also tend to pass that on to their children. So lots and lots of, of research, obviously, that we've discussed before showing that. So what we know from the, the now into the introduction, mothers undergo significant adaptation reorganization throughout pregnancy and postpartum, both on a psychological but also neurobiological level. So that's talking about all the hormones and these hormone changes are all there to set up the brain changes they need. And so birth processes, all these things are really important for this um, kind of approach to, to unfold as it were. Um, so they say in the maternal caregiving context, attachment theory draws attention to the importance of the mother's sensitive response to her infant, um, and that's what helps develop the secure attachment. Um, neurobiologically, a mother undergoes neural and endocrine changes that prepare her to respond to her infant's all-encompassing needs. So brain changes happen that make us more likely to respond to our baby's needs. So sense of smell changes. Um, you know, lots of things change that um, that shift you towards orientating as a parent, basically. Um, and one thing that we know that is important for that is contact, because we know that if people are separated, then that process is sort of severed, uh, is interrupted um, for sure. 
they say that motherhood can be stressful, huge period of change, and this can be heightened if an individual has experienced childhood diversity, trauma, um, and it impacts behavior and neural responses. So it's not just, they're not, it's not that they're just not choosing to respond, it's that there's a neural difference in their brain to their response in their brain to their infant. And this interferes with the dyadic relationship and this sets the stage for disrupted attachment across generations. So what they're saying is that it's really important to identify potential protective factors to help mitigate this disruption to the relationship um, between at-risk mothers and their infants, so potentially halting this uh, intergenerational transmission. They talk about attachment reorganisation. Now, this is a, a unique concept introduced by the dynamic maturational model of attachment and adaptation. So it's basically sort of a because attachment theory is now quite old from the 60s, this has um, sort of been added to and changed, and this is sort of a version of it. Um, it's a method of coding the adult attachment interview, um, and it's defined as a process where individuals with unresolved trauma are transitioning towards attachment security based on their increased understanding and resolution of past and present traumatic experiences. But as we said before, it's not just about the trauma, it's how it impacts you. So whether you've got tools around you, people around you to help you. So it's not just saying, you know, it, it, it's sort of understanding that it isn't just the trauma, it's what the trauma does to the attachment. Um, they then talk about this, this, this adaptive pregnancy and transition to motherhood from an attachment perspective. So saying that, um, as we know from John Bowlby, they also mentioned Dr. Winnicott, which is somebody that gets mentioned quite a bit in the US. Um, they've got a, a book that was very influential but that paternal sensitivity requires a highly tuned, attuned level of reciprocity and synchrony, which is built over time and requires constant adaptation and reorganization. So basically we need to be um, understanding that baby has needs and that um, we can meet those needs, but also that they have feelings and things as well. And that um, maybe they're distinct from ours, um, but that's often being together helps those things. Um, so John Bowlby was the first to formulate attachment as the quality of the relationship between mother and child, which begins during infancy and continues throughout life. Uh, decades of research have corroborated the central tenets of his attachment theory, showing that emotionally sensitive and responsive mothers are more likely to have infants with secure attachment. I mean, it's not exactly rocket science, is it? It seems really obvious, right? Um, an attuned and predictable attachment experience between mother and child is therefore fundamental to the development of social, emotional and psychological health. What they seem to miss there that is that we actually know that there's an impact on physiological health too. So uh, this theory views attachment as a self-protective strategy rather than just about the security, which promotes the survival of the species. So it takes into account the adaptive skills of individuals in dangerous contexts. Thus, an attuned and predictable attachment experience between the mother and child is fundamental to the child's future development of social, emotional, and psychological health when in a safe context. And again, they seem to miss that link around um, attachment, but, also, but particularly to physical health as well. So from a neuroscience perspective, they have found that uh, through studies of the brain that the maternal brain undergoes significant changes. Um, pregnant first-time mothers were observed to show significant increases in grey matter volume compared to pre-pregnancy volumes, and that will be in very specific areas. Um, a study in 2010 by Kim et al. reported structural changes in the maternal brain during um, 
postpartum months. So increases were seen in grey matter volumes in brain areas associated with expression of maternal behaviours. So the very specific areas which we've discussed before, the amygdala, um, particular parts of the cortex, um, which are really, really interesting. Um, and they see that these increased grey matter volumes seen in these brain areas were then associated with positive perception of infants by their mothers. So these structural changes in the brain um, pre and post pregnancy are critical for, for the bond. And so what we know is that attachment can disrupt these processes, these structural changes. So a growing body of research has addressed this attachment related brain network that governs maternal responses. So Strata Natel, who's one of the authors on this current paper, uh, demonstrated that first-time mothers with secure attachment patterns had enhanced activation of the key dopamine reward processing brain regions when they saw happy faces of their own infant. And so they're saying that this uh, promotes bond formation and attuned caregiving. But those mothers with secure attachment demonstrated similar reward responses when seeing their sad faces. But mothers with an insecure or dismissing attachment had activation in one particular area of the brain, which is often associated with feelings of pain or disgust. So what they're saying is that they physically viewed a, a response in a very different way in their brain, um, which led to feelings of pain or disgust. So they're saying that you know our attachment basically impacts on neural activation in certain areas of the brain. So maternal trauma and its intergenerational transmission from an attachment perspective. So what they're saying is that unresolved trauma um, continues to adversely affect ability to function. So an unresolved trauma is, is an individual's maladaptive psychological response to an event. So I would also argue, obviously, they're just talking about it from an attachment point of view, but they will go on to it from a neuroscience point of view because it, it's impossible to separate these things out. It will undoubtedly um, also affect the physiological response, not just psychological. Um, so more recently, um, Perry, which is, is Ruth Perry, um, and Shaw, which is uh, either Alan or his brother, both of them do research in, in trauma, they have um, sort of found these two subsets of trauma. So hyperarousal or dissociation. Um, so hyperarousal is defined by a heightened emotion and physiological, psychological, physiological response to trauma. Dissociation represents disconnect from or shutting down the traumatic memory. Um, and essentially it's the brain wanting to learn kind of and essentially keep you safe so um, hyperarousal is oh I've learned that that's dangerous and I need to keep my you know keep me myself safe or keep my baby safe so <laughs> I'm losing my laptop sorry <laughs> uh, so yeah basically there's those two options for what might happen. I put this probably more if we were looking really deeply, but these were from 1995 and 97 papers. So again, pretty, pretty old. Um, but yes, fundamentally about keeping you safe. So where is dissociation? Basically means you shut it down those memories because they're just too painful um, rather than wanting to um, do anything else with those. And that can almost keep you stuck in, your, in, in the brain. So past research has identified the role of unresolved trauma in a range of disorders, including borderline personality disorder, substance use disorders, and they found that those with borderline personality disorder have reported high instances of childhood abuse, neglect, and display a higher prevalence of unresolved trauma um, and dim diminished reflective capacity. So basically they can't reflect on those experiences. Um, Substance use disorder has been strongly linked to the presence of adverse childhood experiences and unresolved trauma and impaired parenting behavior. So what they're saying is that 
the presence of unresolved trauma in turn impairs parental achievement behavior when these individuals then transition. So what's really key is helping those, those people. Um, so from a neuroscience perspective, again, they're talking particularly about um, the amygdala, which shows both structural and functional changes in the aftermath of trauma. Um, the amygdala we know is affected with, uh, impacted with cortisol and oxytocin. And, and again, we know that those things are really, really key for social bonding, um, all part of that feeding process, babe, you know, uh, breastfeeding and, and birth. Um, so what they found with neuroimaging studies, they looked at these two subsets of trauma and they showed distinct patterns of neural activation. So trauma patients with hyperarousal show increased activation in the amygdala, but a decreased activation in brain areas associated with emotional regulation. But in contrast, patients who had dissociative symptoms showed an increased activation in brain regions associated with emotional regulation or showing decreased activation in the amygdala. So what you're seeing is that trauma is affecting these structural set parts of the brain in very different ways. And that makes sense when you think about it, because they're not able to um, control their emotional regulation, perhaps if they're hyper aroused, whereas if they're dissociating, they have to be really good at putting those emotions down so that they don't react to them. So that's why it's sort of doing those different things. It's, it's similar to um, studies that have found obviously different people with different traumas have found that for some oxytocin increases cortisol, not just what we typically think, which is that oxytocin decreases cortisol. So it's showing that it's not just going to be a really simple solution all the time to think that um, the brain is complex. <laughs> so what they're saying is that basically um, there is no study that's directly examined maternal brain responses to infants' emotional cues. So they have found with um, borderline personality disorder, they've been found that they've got heightened activation of key emotional processing regions, um, which again, may be good, maybe not good. Um, but yeah, no study has, has directly examined it. Um, in studies with mothers that found viewing happy images of their children resulted in a striking pattern of decreased activation in the brain regions. So basically they're showing a blunted neural response. So they were showing happy pictures of their children um, and they just didn't really necessarily respond in their brain to those images. Um, so studies from both attachment and neuroscience perspectives have demonstrated how unresolved trauma can interfere with the mother's ability to sensibly respond to her infant. So protecting against intergeneral transmission. So empirical research has identified maternal factors that have been shown to protect against this, primarily centering around mentalization and reflective functioning. So what they're saying is that this attachment reorganization is another construct that's identified as a potential protective factor. And it's essentially about changing how you think um, and taking control and reshaping your brain. Um, so some theory theorists have used the term earned secure to refer to individuals who have experienced suboptimal parenting or otherwise adverse life experiences or events, but are able to overcome the effects of these experiences and they demonstrate balanced integration and then attain this secure attachment. Um, so basically they've, they've worked on those brain patterns. Um, and, and secure individuals are thought to have interrupted the intergenerational cycle by demonstrating emotional resilience, um, which was studied by Fearon in 2010. 
which I definitely have to read about because that sounds very interesting. Uh, Reorganisation encompasses the process by which those with insecure attachment or unresolved trauma are actively changing their understanding of the past and present experiences in direction of greater balance, resolution and attachment. So work suggests that a mother with unresolved trauma does not necessarily need to reach the stage of earned transition or earned security to halt this transmission of, of the impact of trauma, but that if she is in the process of reorganisation, that it may be enough to mitigate the disrupted relationship between her and her infant so just because somebody's got trauma just because somebody's not particularly well attached necessarily to their own parents doesn't mean that they can't be a good parent themselves they are focusing on being a really responsive parent so it's these two concepts of attachment reorganization mentalization or reflective functioning and earned security and the concept of reorganization encapsulates the process of change from insecure attachment to secure attachment and from unresolved trauma to resolved trauma. And this parallels the process of reflection, reevaluation, and change that often takes place with psychological treatments, but is unique in that it captures the process unfolding specifically in relation to one's past attachment experiences and has promise in positively shaping inter intergenerational attachment outcomes. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't talk about how, it doesn't talk about how you do that it's talking about it at a really broad general level um so you know certain certain therapies are known to help and um i would argue that carrying affects both of those aspects so the neuroscience point but also the attachment point um and in fact it's really difficult i don't know you know how they can easily separate those two things because these two things are inextricably linked um in my mind but it still shows that research is still predominantly being done by um you know men in 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 rooms and not necessarily reflecting experiences of people day to day um and so i think what's really interesting about this is just that it shows that by working on on supporting mothers to be responsive to their infants that that can change that intergenerational aspect um, through the neurobiology, through the creating of this attachment. And it would be, I think it would be really useful if they were to link up more with some of the attachment research and, you know, just work much more across, uh, across different fields to just share those thoughts and share all their learnings in different areas. Because, yeah, I just think we know that that happens when we see it in front of us, right? And it's such an easy, easy intervention. And it, it misses things like birth, you know. Birth at the moment, in certainly in the UK, it is hugely traumatic. It's very fundamentally traumatic. Um, the last two years, the pandemic for many has been fundamentally traumatic. And so it's understanding that they don't have to define going forward, that there are ways and things that you that can be done that will, will change those things, but both are recognizing that it does impact on a brain structural level, um, but that we can't always tell how that trauma or that experience has changed somebody's abilities to shape their brain and to change their brain. So um, yeah, it's just an interesting sort of insight into those particular areas whereby somebody was linking the neuroscience and attachment because it's great that people are starting to do that and at least talk about them in the same sort of papers. So that is, um, well, just sum up. So conclusion, it is especially valuable to examine attachment reorganization during pregnancy 
or in the early postpartum as this captures the adaptive capability of the human brain and behavior in a measurable attachment related construct. Perhaps reorganizing in an attachment context corroborates what we already know about the brain's ability to form new connections between neurons and change throughout life, with the brain never being fully organized yet always in the dynamic and adaptive process of change. So yeah, always changing, always learning. I think what it kind of tries to do is make it seem really simple when it really, really isn't, obviously. I think it tries to say your attachment is either secure or not secure, or your, your trauma is resolved or unresolved. And I think it's just not so black and white. I think it's a much broader scale of, of those things. But what it is really positive in showing is that by working on those things, change can happen. Like the end point is not to necessarily resolve or to reach a certain number, but to just be moving forwards gradually over time, I think. Any questions, any thoughts on that one? Um, about uh, security attachment and 